Last weekend, President Trump sent a tweet. If Mexico doesn't immediately stop all illegal immigration coming into the United States through our southern border, he wrote, I will be closing the border or large sections of the border next week. Trump's threat comes at a time when ports of entry along the U.S.-Mexico border have seen spikes in migrant families trying to enter the United States. His initial suggestion of a complete border closing met some pushback from senior White House officials and others in the administration who raised concerns about the potential economic impact of a border closing. Other administration officials, though, defended the president's threat publicly. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney spoke about the president's plan with ABC News's Jonathan Carl. What would it take for him not to do that this week? Uh, something dramatic. Um, keep in mind and counselor of the president, so Kellyanne Conway, insisted on Fox News Sunday that Trump's threat was serious. It certainly isn't a bluff. You can take the president seriously, and here's why. As this week went on, Trump also suggested to reporters that Mexico was taking steps to help and that he wasn't making his decision known yet about whether or not he would close the border. I haven't made that intention known, and uh, I'm ready to close it if I have to close it. But then, on Thursday, Trump seemed to back off of that threat to close the border immediately. We're going to give him a one-year warning. And if the drugs don't stop or largely stop, we're going to put tariffs on Mexico and products, in particular cars. The whole ballgame is cars. And if that doesn't stop the drugs, we close the border. The magnitude of Trump's initial threat, the doubling down, and eventually the softening of a one-year warning, the whole story did build a bunch of suspense. And ultimately, that set up by the president, it raised a lot of questions. Namely... Will Trump decide to shut down the border? And can he do that? But other questions, too, like why keep the country and his own administration in suspense awaiting a border-closing decision? And how effective is governing through this much uncertainty? This is Can He Do That?, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Now, the U.S.-Mexico border is, of course, not a new area of interest for the president. For the record, I went back and counted seven episodes of Can He Do That that relate to the border or immigration. So I would look at at President Trump's kind of obsession with the Mexico border in several phases. That, by the way, is Damian Paletta. He's an economic policy reporter at The Post who covers the intersection of Trump's policies and our economy. Like, for example, the suggestion that Trump might close a border over which many American businesses transport goods. Damian explained to me what prompted Trump's threat to close the border. Obviously, the promise during the uh, 2016 campaign to build a wall along the border. Then we've had multiple fights during the initial years of his presidency, culminating with the government shutdown in December of 2018, where he insisted that if the, if the Congress didn't give him money for the wall, he was going to you know, shut the government down and build the wall on his own. Um, eventually, he did declare an emergency and try to reappropriate money for the wall. And now we're in this new phase where all these things he's done before still to his have not met his satisfaction in terms of stopping the number of migrants coming over. There's like actually more people trying to enter the U.S., um, families and migrants now than there were 
in the last few years. And so he's sort of saying enough is enough. I'm going to take this next most drastic measure and threaten to shut the whole border down, seal the entire 2000 mile border off unless both Mexico and Democrats in Congress give him what he wants. So even though he now has reappropriated money to build the wall, obviously that wall is not built yet. So he's looking, this is sort of a more immediate solution for him. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about what it would actually look like and what it would take to close the entire border. So how does that happen, right? So it's not a wall that can go up instantly. What is it? Is it law enforcement? I mean, there is no way to overnight seal off the 2,000 mile border, okay? Unless you literally dropped a wall from the sky or put, you know, thousands and thousands of Border Patrol officers every 10 feet, like within arm's length of each other, across, you know, standing in the middle of the Rio Grande and stuff, right? There's just no way to do it. One way he could try to do it or try a, a version of it would be to essentially shut down the ports of entry, the 27 or so gates that let cars and pedestrians through. Now, a lot of those things, those ports close over, you know, close in the evening and then reopen in the morning. He could just simply not reopen them in the morning, right? Um, who knows what would happen? It's never really happened before, but they, I imagine there'd probably be a huge line of people and cars waiting to come in, but he could just refuse to, to open them up. Now, that would not do anything to stop the people who are trying to cross, you know, through the desert or areas where there are no ports, um, but it could obviously be very disruptive on both sides of the border and it would send a signal, which maybe that's what he's trying to do, that, you know, unless he's satisfied, he's going to kind of do these sorts of things. So but what problem would it solve to actually close the port of en- the ports of entry if it doesn't solve the problem of people just sort of stepping over the border at other locations? So there are still thousands and thousands of people who cross in both directions the, the ports of entry every day. A lot of these people are day laborers. A lot of these people are small businesses. A lot of these people are tourists. And so, I mean, it would definitely get everyone's attention, right? Businesses in California and Arizona, New Mexico that rely on this labor, they would be alarmed and immediately impacted. And maybe sometimes what the president wants is people to be alarmed and immediately impacted, to get their attention. Larry Kudlow, you know, the president's top economic advisor, told us this is like an exclamation point. You know, this is like a wake-up call for people to start taking this seriously. So in that respect, it would definitely get everyone's attention. Now, whether the you know, juice is worth the squeeze, you know, whether he would get the benefit that he's looking for or whether it would just cause a whole bunch of chaos and blow back on him, you know, no one really would know. Can we talk more specifically about some of the economic impacts of of shutting down either the ports of entry or just the entire border altogether? What would that actually look like for for businesses? The business community, they're the ones who are freaking out the most right now. The CEOs have been calling the White House, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable, Farm groups are apoplectic. Um, you cannot put 50 tons of bananas in a warehouse for two months till this all gets sorted out, right? This stuff moves across the border every day. Car parts are not stored in huge warehouses in Ohio and Michigan. They just they, they come across the border and they're immediately put to use in the factories. And so the economic impact, and even the White House has acknowledged this, would be immediate and severe. They've looked at ways to maybe allow trucks and trains to continue moving across the border. If they, you know, even if they do seal off the border for cars and pedestrians, is there still a way to allow goods and service, goods to move across? That's possible. I think even White House officials are skeptical that that would totally sort out the problem because a lot of you know, the people that come through at the ports of entry are, are day laborers or small businesses and stuff like that. So the economic impact would be severe. Now, you could argue that's the idea, right? You want to get everyone's attention. 
But if it leads to a huge drop in the stock market and layoffs and- And, and us not getting our bananas. Exactly, or, <laughs> or avocados, then it kind of moves obviously out of a Washington issue into an issue that like scatters all over the country, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, states that the president needs to be on his good side, you know, and then maybe this kind of moves outside his control. But in terms of the humanitarian crisis on the border, migrant families overwhelming the system, CBP not having enough comfortable, humane accommodations, this is part of the emergency that the administration is is presumably concerned about. Would closing down all ports of entry on the U.S.-Mexico border actually solve that problem? That's an excellent question. So if you think about there's thousands of people now on the south side of the border trying to get in. A lot of them have been walking for weeks or months from Honduras or other Guatemala, and they're not going to turn around and walk back if they're told the border's closed. They've got nowhere to go. And so I think what the White House believes, though, is that it's going to take this kind of action. Obviously, the idea of closing the border for like a couple months, it's never been done before, you know, even a fraction of that. But he believes that it it would take a step like that to get people's attention to finally sit down and start negotiating. Okay, what does a real immigration program look like? How could we address this so that we don't have so many people, you know, desperately trying to come into the United States illegally, these families? What do we do with all these people who are trying to come in? Do we need more judges? Do we need better programs in Guatemala and Honduras? That's the kind of conversation that, quite frankly, isn't happening because, you know, both sides are so dug in and, you know, making these ultimatums at each other. So Trump might be sort of initiating this action of closing the border to prompt those conversations, yet perhaps unwilling to have some of those conversations. Exactly. So, I mean, I think you've probably done versions of this conversation many times, right? Can he really shoot a nuke at North Korea? Like, he's threatening to do it. Can he really cut off all trade with China. I mean, that would be crazy, but he's starting to do it. So he like starts at the most extreme idea mm-hmm. as a way to, it, it's it's a New York uh, real estate thing. Like mm-hmm. you don't offer a bazillion dollars for a building. You say, oh, that building's no good. I'm, I'm gonna offer you a million dollars. And then you kind of negotiate, right? Mm-hmm. So he has to start at this extreme position um, in order to get attention. And he's, you know, let's be honest, he's gotten everyone's attention. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Damien's last point struck me, the idea that Trump might strategically take an extreme position in order to call attention to a difficult point of negotiation. Where does that approach from the president leave a reporter trying to figure out which of Trump's actions demand coverage? We wrestle with it all the time. At the end of the day, he's the president of the United States. He has incredible power and influence, not just um, through his words, but through his actions. And I think the fact that he has on multiple occasions, followed through with some of these ideas that for other presidents of either of either party, you know, would have seemed like something that never would have crossed their mind. The fact that he did have the longest shutdown in government history, the fact that he did impose these sweeping tariffs on China, you know, and even allies like Canada and, and the European Union, that requires us to pay close attention to everything he says and to, you know, dig, you know, can he do that? 
um, will he do that? And sometimes the answer is yes. Yeah. And in this case, to be clear, can does a president have enough power to shut down the border? I don't think we know that yet. It might take another kind of emergency declaration. You know, I, I guess theoretically he could direct the Border Patrol just not reopen the ports in the morning. But could he do that for several mornings? I don't know. Would there be lawsuits? Uh, immediately there would be lawsuits. You know, can he, can one person seal off the country from anything on the outside? I, I'm not sure in a time of peace that that's like legally possible. Now, I think where he kind of runs into a little bit of trouble here is he has re- again and again during his presidency threatened to do something drastic. Okay. I'm going to rip up NAFTA. I'm going to impose tariffs on everything that comes over from China. I'm going to stop any automobiles from coming in from Japan. And then often he backs away at the last second, right? So a lot of people have kind of figured out his playbook. You just kind of wait him out, nod your head, okay, okay, sure. And then his advisors will eventually talk him out of it. Sometimes he does end up following through, right? We saw with the government shutdown, he did, you know, he was undeterred. And there's other examples as well, some of the tariffs that he did place on China. And so even though a lot of his advisors now think, well, there's no way he can do this. There's a billion and a half dollars in goods that cross the border every day. It would be, you know, what we heard from the automotive industry said it can completely shut down auto manufacturing within a week in the entire United States. Some people say, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to decide what he's going to decide and we're just going to have to adapt to it. Does it matter that there is such high uncertainty? Does uncertainty create a, a sense of instability for the country or is it, you know, fine? I think this it's just his calling card. It's like being in a new relationship and realizing that your significant other is just like really into Star Trek. I mean, that's just like what they are. And so he thrives on keeping people on their toes, whether it's Democrats, whether it's Republicans, whether it's China, Mexico, like he has to always keep everyone on their toes. I've traveled with him to um, the G7. I've traveled with him to the G20. I mean, he has this almost like a playbook of right before these international summits, he does something kind of bombastic to scatter all the marbles and everyone's kind of responding to him. And he thrives on that because then all the attention's on him. Everyone's coming to him. He's reset the agenda. In some cases, it's been brilliant. You know, he's gotten everyone to kind of come to his position. In some cases, it's been kind of a mess. And, you know, he leaves North, you know, the North Korea talks with nothing to show for it. And um, the Canadians, you know, are in a huff after the G20. So, you know, I think it has worked and it hasn't worked. And the problem is you never really know until it plays out how how each episode is going to go. And so, you know, we're in the middle of this one and, you know, we'll see. All right, Damien, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. And we have some exciting news. Can He Do That has been nominated in the News and Politics podcast category of the Webby Awards. And we need your votes to win. So log on to vote.webbyawards.com and vote for Can He Do That. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the widely accomplished Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.